Good morning. Good morning, and ladies, thank you for getting us started with such beautiful music. <clears throat> this past winter, with the cold and flu season raging, I learned about elderberry syrup. And uh, perhaps you've heard of it. It is supposed to help everything from the flu to back pain and chronic fatigue syndrome, and you can make it yourself. Well, I know that a lot of you are into oils and things like that, and I recently read of another home remedy that's getting a lot of attention for its long list of impressive health benefits. I thought I would just share a few of them. For instance, it supposedly helps you look younger, boost your fertility, fights cold and flu, disease-proof your body, lengthens your life, shift your middle age spread and keep it fit, ease those nasty period cramps, help lower your risk of incontinence, prevent heart attacks, smooths your wrinkles, lower your blood pressure, banish depression, cures headaches, relieves stress, helps with insomnia, strengthens your bones, cuts your risk of prostate cancer, and helps you feel better all day. Anybody want to guess what this health benefit is? Yes, yes. Apparently, there are great health benefits to a satisfying sexual relationship. Does that surprise anyone? This morning, our topic is going to be on intimacy, the physical sexual relationship in marriage. I am about to teach a lesson that your husbands will be so glad that you studied. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Now, I also have a sheet with all the verses listed on it that we'll be using today. So if you prefer, you can follow along with that. But we're going to be starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, next we're going to jump to chapter 2 in Genesis verse 21. That's chapter 2, 21, says this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, we'll stop there. All right, this morning, we want to go over some of the basics about sex and intimacy in marriage. And I want to start out by pointing out that I am a Bible teacher and not a health teacher or a medical professional, so it will not be those kinds of basics. Instead, we want to see what God's word has to say on the subject and how it applies to your marriage. Now, everything that we go over today will be things that you should be teaching your children. Maybe not all at once, 
but they need to know these things. All right, so we're gonna get to it. Let's start with our first point. Number one, sex was God's idea. He is the master designer of human sexuality. God designed and created sex. God designed us to be sexual beings. He's the one that gave us sexual organs. If you look back at Genesis 1.28, when God says, be fruitful and multiply, that is the 28th verse in the Bible, and it is about having sex. And apparently, a lot of sex. Sex was God's idea. So that means it is good. It means that a man's strong, God-given sex drive is good. It means that God is pro-sex. But it also means that God decides the perimeters and boundaries. It also means that God is the one that determines its meaning and purpose. All right, here's the next thing on our list. Number two, God designed sex for a man and a woman in a covenant, in a married covenant relationship. And this is review. God intended sex for one man and one wife, his covenant partner. And we're going to see that this is going to become more clear and evident as we go through these purposes for sex. So let's talk about that. What are God's purposes for sex. Look first at Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Should be the next on your paper. It says this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. All right, here's purpose number one, procreation. Procreation, you could also put life. Chances are, if you had any type of sex ed talk with your parents, this was the reason they covered and a lot of times as parents, we think, you know, sooner or later, my, ki my kids are going to ask me, where do babies come from? And so I'm going to have to be prepared to talk to my kids about sex. But now listen, we do our children a great disservice if this is the only reason that we give them for why God has designed sex. Okay, so we want to, um, let's go over, let's, let's add some things to our list. All right, we're going back to Genesis chapter 2, 24, where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. All right, now notice, it says one man, one wife, singular, and it doesn't say girlfriend. All right, it says wife. It says they hold fast, and that word means cling or stick together like skin on bone. I, I have this on your, um, on your papers. When a couple marries and has a sexual relationship, it is fastened together. It's, it's been said that sex is like super glue. All right, the sexual union was never intended to be temporary or casual or cheap. Okay, and also that term hold fast, it often designates the keeping of the covenant relationship. All right, now, and we've been talking about this. We've been talking about the covenant relationship, how it could never be broken. And remember, one of the goals of covenant was oneness. All right, and that brings us to our next um, purpose, oneness with your uh, covenant partner. Purpose number two, oneness. 
And we've been talking about the importance of oneness throughout this course. And this is a God-given means for it. All right? Now, our next purpose is very similar to this. I want you to look back at Genesis 4.1, where the verse said that Adam knew his wife, and then she became pregnant. That word knew is a euphemism for sex. Okay? In the Hebrew, it is the word yada. Yada. It, as, as in the expression, you may have heard it, yada, yada, yada. Seinfeld made it famous. Um, I want to give you the biblical definition of it. Yada means known, respected, understood, familiar with. All right, now, yada is not the only word in the Hebrew for the sexual relationship, but it is also, um, also used to describe... Wait a minute, let me try that again. It is not the only word in the Bible used to describe the sexual relationship, okay? But interestingly, the word is also used to describe a person being in a deep fellowship with God, right? So, so God has very purposely chosen the word yada to describe sex throughout the Old Testament. And it gives us um, our next purpose. Purpose number three, intimacy, intimacy. We have been wired for it by our creator. We long to be known and understood. We long to connect. We long to be connected. And God has designed sex within marriage to help meet that human need. Dr. Gary and Barbara Rosberg, they wrote a book about the five love needs for men and women, and they discovered that the number two expressed need for both men and women was for intimacy. Men and women both crave intimacy. However, they went on to explain that men and women spell it differently. A woman spells intimacy T-A-L-K, and a man spells it, would you like to guess? S-E-X. Mm -hmm. And your homework had some really good stuff on this. It explained that a man, that men equate sex with intimacy. We women, we have different ways that we experience intimacy with our husbands, but that is not the case for them. They're, they're pretty simple. Men equate intimacy and feeling loved with sex. Here's how Rosberg puts it. He says, it is important for a wife to understand that sex is her husband's avenue to connection. He says sex builds connection for a husband in the same way that talking and helping around the house build connection for a wife. It's that simple. Now he further explains that a husband is going to be more able to connect with your emotions and be more sensitive once he feels safe and once his sexual needs are met. And he gives women an interesting challenge. He says, the next three times that you have sex, provided it's not in the middle of the night, he says, set apart time about 30 minutes after, they need 30 minutes to regroup. And he says, and then 30 minutes after you have sex, then initiate conversation with him and test the waters. He says, see if he is not more open and tender to the conversation that you long for. Uh, good assignment. 
All right, let's move on. Next verse, we're looking at 2 Samuel 12, verse 24. I've got two verses we're going to read here. I want you to watch for the repetition. Here we go. 2 Samuel 12, 24 says this, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. All right, we're going to look at next, Genesis 24, 67. 24, 67 says this, Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Okay, what's the purpose here? Did you see the repetition? Comfort, yeah, comfort. Purpose number four is comfort. And I want you to notice it works both ways. It comforted the woman in the Bathsheba story, and it comforted the man in the Isaac story. One of the ways that God has designed for you to find comfort or give comfort to your spouse is with the sexual relationship. Okay? One of the purposes is comfort. All right, so that means if your husband is dealing with a very stressful situation at work, if he's had some discouraging news, if he's sad or upset, there is a God-given prescription for that. There is a God-given ministry of comfort He needs time alone with you in the tent. And I would remind you the situation. He needs comfort, right? That means that he might be acting really cranky. He might be acting really irritable. He might be acting uh, and really stressed out. And you might be thinking, I don't even want to be in the same room with him. I'm just trying to stay out of this guy's way. Now listen, that may be exactly what he needs. He may need some time to himself. And then he needs the ministry of comfort with time with you in the tent. Next passage, Proverbs 5. Verse 18, Proverbs 5, verse 18 says this, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated with her love. Okay, what's the purpose here? Just tell me, what's the purpose? Love, pleasure, pleasure, okay? Uh, purpose number five, pleasure. God created sex to be pleasurable and intoxicating, all right? And not just for men, okay? Now, how do we know that? Well, first of all, he has given you a body part with one function, sexual pleasure. He has also devoted an entire book of the Bible to the passion and pleasure of sex. In the book, The Song of Solomon, we see that for the married couple, God intends sex to be sensual, playful, and exciting. Now, there's something interesting that I learned as I was preparing for this lesson. According to Rosberg, the number one sexual need of the husbands that they surveyed was 
mutual satisfaction. Number one on their list was that men wanted for their wives to, um, wanted fulfillment for their wives as well as for themselves. They wanted to know that you are enjoying them, that, you, that they are pleasing you. God has designed men with a strong desire for their wives to enjoy the experience just as much as they do. Have you ever, uh, has your husband ever approached you and you don't want to be a bad wife, you don't want to tell him no, and so you say something like this, okay, but you're going to have to be fast because I've got a lot of things to do. Or maybe you're accommodating you know, you're providing a body, but really you're just in your mind. You're just kind of thinking, you know, you're checking the box off your list of things to do. Listen, if that is characterizing um, your, your sex life, if that is characterizing the attitude that you have towards sex, you're in trouble. Because your husbands need to understand and know that you are enjoying them physically. Now, I understand that we go through seasons Especially, you know, you got little babies. You got, you're just coming home from the hospital. But your husband needs to know that you are enjoying them physically. All right, more than one male author said this. Listen, they said, a man feels like a man when he can please his wife. Shanti Feldhahn, she writes a lot about this. Here's what she had to say. She says, your desire is a bedrock form of support that gives him power to face the rest of his daily life with a sense of confidence and well-being. In other words, your interest in him sexually gives him confidence. And she talks about the Viagra commercials. And she says that men could immediately identify with the man in the commercial. You've probably seen him. He's walking around. He's exuding all this confidence and strength. His wife's got a smile on his face. That's because he's having sex and he's able to please his wife. Men could relate to that. Something else that every male resource that I either watched or read, they all made a point to say how affirming it is to them when their wives initiate sex. That would make a great class assignment, don't you think? For the next week. All right, here's our next passage. We're moving on to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. This is the New Testament. Let's see what it says. <clears throat> now concerning the matter about which you wrote... It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. All right now, skipping down to verse 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, what's going on here? Um, I like to use the example of a fire. Fire in a fireplace is good. It warms the house. You can pop popcorn. You can roast marshmallows and make s'mores. But if the fire is not contained to the fireplace, it can burn your house down. It can burn your neighborhood down. 
Maybe you've seen pictures of the, of the fire that was raging through California. If fire is not under control, if it is not burning in its rightful place, then it is destructive and it's harmful. And Paul is saying the same thing here. He's saying that if you do not have the self-control to live a celibate life, then you need to marry. Marry is the, uh, marriage is the only legitimate place for you to work out your sexual appetites and desires. And so here's the next purpose. Purpose number six is this. It provides a legitimate place for sexual desires and a way to avoid sexual immoralities. Now, Paul is giving us some valuable insights because he's telling us a way. It's not the only way, but it's a way that you, that we can help our husbands fight sexual immoralities and fight our own, for that matter. And that is, have sex with your husband. Jenny Ortland puts it this way. She says, I believe a husband's strongest safeguard against adultery is a fun and satisfying relationship with his wife. You are the only legal, God-blessed source of sexual fulfillment that your husband will ever have if he follows the Lord carefully. Give him the joy and pleasure that he can only experience with you. Now, Tim LaHaye has some interesting thoughts on this as well. Listen to what he writes. Because sex is such a necessary part of a man's life and married love preserves the innocence of his conscience, the woman who provides these things will increasingly become the object of his love. End quote. You see what they're saying? They're saying that sex is a way of protecting your marriage. It's a way of strengthening your marriage. All right, we have one more purpose for the sexual union, and um, we've saved the best for last. All right, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. All right, now skip down to verse 28. Now, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, look at verse 32. It says, uh, he's calling it this mystery. He says, he's calling marriage in the marriage bed a mystery. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a riddle. It doesn't mean that it's a secret. What he means is that it's a truth that wasn't yet known in the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, they knew that sex and marriage was for procreation. They knew that. They knew that it was for pleasure. They knew that it was for intimacy and oneness and comfort. They knew that it was for protecting them against sexual immoralities, but they didn't know this. They didn't know that sex and marriage was to be a picture 
of Christ and the church. You see, God knew that people would have questions about what it was like for the church to be in relationship with Christ. He knew they would have questions. What is it like to be in fellowship with Jesus? What is it like to be saved from your sin and be in a relationship with Jesus Christ? And so what does God do? He points to marriage and he points to the marriage bed. And he says, you want to know what it's like to be in a relationship with me? It's passionate. It's life-giving. It's being able to stand before God naked and unashamed. There's oneness and intimacy and closeness with God so that his strength is your strength. And the things that he loves, you love. And the things that he hates, you hate. It's being so delighted and intoxicated and satisfied with God that you want no other lovers, that you want no other gods. And that you want to spend your life resisting sin and avoiding sin. God created sex and marriage to tell a story about what God is like and what it's like to be in relationship with him. Now, I wonder if you have ever had sex explained to you like that. Because this is something that we need to be teaching our children. Yes, you're going to have to have with them a talk about the birds and bees, but you're going to be in constant dialogue with them about their sexuality. And why is that? Because it's telling a story. Because the goal is not for you to just get them through their teen years, teen years and keep their virginity. The goal is to help them understand the beauty and the glory of being in a relationship with God. The goal is to teach them the relationship between Christ and the church. The goal is to help them so that when they see when a man cheats on his wife or two men have sex together and marry or a college co-ed goes off to college and has multiple lovers, that is a lie about God. Here's our next purpose. Purpose number seven is to tell the story of how the church relates to Christ. All right, now there are a couple other things that we want to see from this passage. And primarily, that our model is Christ and the church. And we talked about this when we talked about um, submission. We said that we are to portray the part of the church. And so when it comes to sex, we want to have a responsive, honoring, joyful response to our husbands in the same way that the church responds to Jesus. Okay, wait a minute. Am I saying that every time your husband approaches you, that you are to respond to him as the church would respond to Christ? Y yes. Yes, I think I am. Now, I want to qualify that. And um, look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. 
because Paul's going to further explain the situation. 1 Corinthians 7.3 says this, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, how should you respond when your husband approaches you for sex. Well, according to Paul, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. You see, the husband and wife are covenant partners. And we've talked about this. They are one. They've exchanged robes. They've exchanged belts. They've exchanged weapons. I am putting on you and you are putting on me and my needs are your needs and your needs are my needs. Why? Because we are one. All right, that means that your husband's sexual needs are now yours. Researchers and studies tell us that men and women are very different when it comes to sex. They tell us that when it comes to the thoughts about sex, that men are international airports, and we women are small landing fields for private jets and planes. You probably didn't need a scientist to tell you that. But here is our next point. Point number three. There is an equal and mutual responsibility to give. The wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband does. Um, the husband doesn't have authority over his, excuse me. There is equality, equality in the bedroom. There is a mutual responsibility to give to each other. Now, you might want to circle the words should give. That's in verse 3. In the Greek, it is a word that is used to describe an obligation to repay a debt that is owed. Now, that's an interesting word choice because he's reminding us that sex isn't a privilege or isn't just a privilege or a pleasure it is an obligation to it's an obligation you have it's a responsibility to fulfill so instead of coming to the marriage and thinking hey buddy you owe me you're the paul says no 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 the proper thinking the proper attitude is i owe you all right now i i want to give you a warning about this given what we've just learned about men and that is you don't want to treat your husband um, like he's some kind of charity case and that, uh, you know, just sleeping with him is your uh, Christian duty. That's, that's not the spirit of this word, okay? Now, um, I, that's why I like the King James Version of this, of, of this verse, and I have that on your papers. I have it on your handout. It says, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So on one hand, we're talking about a debt that we owe, so to speak, but it's not a bill to pay, it is an affection due. All right? And by the way, you need to teach this to your daughters. You need to raise them to understand this because it's totally counter to anything that's out there. 
And they need to understand that if they are not interested in adapting their sexual needs to a future husband, they should stay single. All right. Look again at verse 5. It says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan will not be tempted, will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, it says, do not deprive one another. Those are very strong words. All right, and what he's saying is stop robbing one another. He says, stop defrauding. That's what this means. It means to cheat cheat someone out of something that is theirs, all right? Remember, it's due them. It's an affection that is due them. How are some ways that women deprive? Well, maybe you just say no to their advances, or maybe you just are not available, or maybe you pretend to be asleep. Or maybe you say you have a headache. Maybe you sabotage the evening and bring up hot topic issues and problems right before bed. Maybe you respond to his advances with a honeydew list. Ever done anything like that? Do you know what Paul would say? Stop depriving. Stop robbing. Stop defrauding. Let me put this another way. Your husband should not have to beg for sex. Your husband should not have to buy you dinner or flowers or bathe the children or do a long list of chores in order to have sex with you. Now, don't get me wrong. If I was speaking to your husbands, I would tell him those would be great things to do. I would tell him those would be great aphrodisiacs for you. But they are not a requirement for his sleeping with you. He does not have to earn the right to have sex with you. It is an affection that you owe. He is your covenant partner. Your body is his body and his body is your body. And just as you would not deprive your own body, you do not deprive his. Rosberg, he writes that the third sexual need for husbands is responsiveness. He explains that when a wife rejects her husband's advances, he interprets that to mean that you don't care about him or that he is not important. When a wife turns down, A husband's sexual advances, the husband feels emotionally rejected. When you respond to his sexual need, he feels love. Okay, remember, we said that sex is the, the man's way of feeling close. All right? So if you rebuff or you ignore his sexual advances, this is the message you're sending. I do not want to be close to you. Ed Wheat, he writes this. He says, the husband greatly desires response from his wife. She can give him this beautiful gift and delight his heart. However, judging from my mail and counseling appointments, many women do not understand how important, both physically and psychologically, the sexual relationship is to their husband. 
They do not seem to realize that their avoidance of sex or their lack of response will affect their entire marriage in the most negative way. To the indifferent wife, I must give this caution. When there is no physical intimacy between you and your husband, whatever emotional and spiritual closeness you have had will tend to fade as well. Shanti Feldhahn, Feldhahn explained that sex is physically and emotionally important to men and its lack, listen to this, its lack can be compared to the emotional pain you would feel if your husband simply stopped talking to you. What if your husband went a week without saying a word to you? Now, at this point, you might be thinking, can I ever say no? Can I ever take a pass? And every male resource said the same thing. They all said, oh, it all hinges on how you say it. And of course, how often and how often you're saying it. But they're suggesting, they say, let's say you're not feeling well. All right, instead of recoiling at his touch, this is their suggestion. Say something like this, honey, I'm sorry. I want to be with you, but I'm just not feeling very well right now. Could we make plans for tomorrow night? And, and their point was that you word things in such a way that you're not relaying rejection and that you're being very specific about rescheduling. Okay? Now, um, verse 5 has some other instructions. Verse 5 says this, Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. All right, Paul says that you're, you abstain by agreement. All right, in other words, in other words, your husband's needs to be a part of that discussion. Okay, it says by agreement for a limited time. And that Greek word for time here means a specific time period. All right, so that means in the conversation that you're having about the, your agreement to either abstain from sex or delay sex, you are also to determine a time when you're going to come back together again. All right, so you're never to agree to abstain for any unspecified time period. Okay, and here's our next point. Number four, do not defraud or deprive and abstain only for a limited time by agreement. Okay, and now I want you to notice that the, the only reason Paul seems to be giving here is if you are agreeing to abstain to devote yourselves to prayer. Okay, so from that standpoint, it seems to be that unless you and your husband, you've set apart time to devote yourselves to prayer, or maybe you have a doctor's order to abstain, then other than that, if your husband approaches you, your answer should be yes joyfully yes now um something that was brought to my attention as i was uh, preparing this lesson is that just the use of porn has become so rampant and that sometimes a husband will view porn and then approach his wife does she have to accommodate him then for most women, that would make her feel very hurt. She would feel used. She would feel like her husband is cheating on her, and he is in his heart. So, um, listen, that needs to be confronted. 
that needs to be confronted. Now, we don't have the time to really dig into that today, but uh, my advice would be to seek help, to get godly, wise counsel on that. All right, um, let's, let's look on to Ephesians chapter 5, 33. That's that last verse in the Ephesians um, group of verses. It says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, we've talked numerous times about respecting our husbands in this class. And every time that we've done that, we've made a list of ways to respect your husband. And um, every time we always have on that list, have sex with him. Um, And really, if we were to be honest, every list we make has that on it. So uh, that shouldn't surprise us. But I, I want to read to you a quote from Bob Lapine. He spoke at a true woman's conference to women, giving them some advice. I want you to hear what he writes about um, respecting your husbands. He says this, sex is one of the most powerful ways to encourage and affirm and minister to your husband. Probably the most powerful way that you affirm your husband and show respect to him is when you respond to him sexually. I've said to my wife, You can affirm me all day long. You can say, you're smart, you're handsome, you're this, how did you do that, that's great. And at night, if I say, so, are you interested? And she goes, no, not tonight. And then I go, well, then why were you lying to me all day? Because in our minds, if we're all that, you should be dying to get into bed with us. We can't figure out why you're not if we're all that nice stuff that you've been saying all about us. And this is the um, advice he gives. He says, ladies, when your husband initiates, respond to him. But don't just say, all right, let's get it over with, okay? That does not affirm our masculinity at the core of our being. No guy hears that from his wife and goes, I'm a man. No, we don't. Now, I want to leave you with three things that Carolyn Mahaney suggests for us on the topic. And they all start with A. So this is um, number five on your papers. First of all, be attractive. Now, we've talked about this for, uh, before, and she is not saying that we have to make ourselves look like models. We've, we've talked about this. Our husbands are not asking for that. Okay, but they are visual. All right? and, and they do like when we put forth an effort. And, and that might be something as simple as wearing black panties or not wearing your ratty old sweatshirt around him. Okay? The point, and, and find out, this is what she recommends, find out what he likes and dress to please him instead of worrying about what your girlfriends are wearing or what's, what the magazines are showing. The point is that our, that our husbands are visual And we want to keep that in mind. All right, here's the next thing she says. Be available. Be available. And we've talked about this one. Now, Kay Arthur has some interesting advice on this one. She says that if you've got kids, get a lock on your bedroom door and teach those children to knock before they come in. She says your bedroom is not the family gathering place. You know what it is, ladies? It's your private tent. Okay, she also says that you don't, when that baby comes home from the hospital, that baby needs to be in its own bed. 
she explains that it's very hard to be spontaneous and available if there is a child in the bed. All right, and um, then here's our last one. Be anticipatory. All right, Mahaney, she reminds us that the sexiest organ in our bodies is our brain and how we think influences our sexual desires. And um, she recommends thinking about your husband, fantasizing about your own husband, all right? Get mentally prepare yourself and plan to be with your husband. Now, she's very quick to understand that for women, especially women with young children and small children, that fatigue can be a great spoiler of everything romantic. So she tells an interesting story. She talks about a new mom that comes to her and asks, how do I keep my husband a priority when my child requires so much of my time and energy? And here's how she answered that. She said, honey, fix him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for dinner and give him great sex after dinner and you, and he will feel prized by you. She reminds us that men will happily do without gourmet meals or an immaculate house if it means that you have saved energy for them. And she advises women to ask their husbands what is more meaningful to them. Ask them, how would you like me to prioritize? All right, that's another really good assignment for the week. All right, I want to close with a quote from her that kind of just puts all this neatly together for us. And that is um, point number six on your papers. God is passionately committed to blessing the marriage bed for our pleasure and his glory. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. I marvel, I marvel at how relevant it is. I also marvel at how, how different it is than, than from what the world is telling us. And I pray that we'll have a biblical view about this. I pray that we'll teach our children to have a biblical view on this. And Lord, my request for, for these women is so simple. I just, Father, I pray it's like the Song of Solomon in their homes and that you'll be magnified and your name will be made great among them. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.